thank you. It is um, a privilege and an honor to be here this evening before you guys. Um, it is a privilege and an honor to be able to speak, and this is something that I don't take lightly, and I'm so thankful. Thankful to uh, Pastor Ron, and even though he's not here, I want to give him honor tonight just for allowing me to have this opportunity. Um, and I'm glad just to be before you all. I'm glad to see your beautiful faces. I'm glad just to be in the presence of God, just that he's here and that we get to fellowship together. Amen. Well, we'll be uh, starting in the book of Job tonight. You guys are all kind of familiar or we, we're kind of familiar with the story of Job. Uh, we know that Job was an upright man. And we know that in his day and age, there was nobody else like Job in all of the earth. He was an upright man. He was righteous. Um, he was wealthy. He had, of all the possessions in the land, I believe Job was the wealthiest. He was a reputable man. Um, and for lack of better terms, Job was a good man. But um, as we read Job, we see that in the story of Job, um, the sons of God are convening, and among them is Satan. And Satan and God begin to have a conversation concerning Job. And the Lord says, have you considered my servant Job, how there's nobody like him in all of the land? And Satan goes on to say, well, you know, that's just because you're, you're protecting him. It's just because you're keeping him. It's, if you stop protecting him, if you, if you stop keeping him, if you take your hedge of protection from around him, he'll, he won't serve you. He won't, uh, he won't praise you. He won't continue to sacrifice like he's been sacrificing. He won't continue to repent. He was off, Job would offer uh, repentance for his children every single day. And Satan was saying that he would not do this if you take your hedge of protection from around him. And so uh, the Lord did exactly that. And he allowed, uh, he allowed Satan to move and to do some things in Job's life. And what I want to talk to you about tonight the perspective that I want to talk to you about is from the plans of God, the plan of God. We read in Job, and we see that Job began to lose everything that he had. He began to lose all of his possessions. He began to lose his children. This is all of these things God allowed. God allowed Satan to do. He allowed him to touch his body. He allowed him to put bulls on his body. He allowed him to inflict him. Um, to the point where Job was just overcome with grief and with sorrow. He tore his clothes apart. He uh, shaved his head, put ashes on top of his head, and he kind of just sat there. There was nothing for him to say. And eventually Job's friends came. Job friends, they come to him. They come to him to try to comfort him. They are giving him words of wisdom, uh, or they're trying to give him words of wisdom, but it's, but it's limited. It's limited. It's coming from their own knowledge and their own understanding and their own limited, I'll say their own limited knowledge and limited understanding of who God is. But that's just that. We have a limited understanding of who God really is. We have a limited understanding of his ways. The Bible says his ways are higher. His thoughts are higher than ours. So his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our, our, our thoughts. So even though Job's friends were trying to give him 
good, sound counsel, it was not exactly what, uh, it, it wasn't the counsel of God. It wasn't exactly what God needed him to hear. It wasn't exactly what, what God wanted him to know. So Job friends are continuing to do that. They're, they're giving them counsel. They're giving them wisdom. And Job is responding. And I mean, if you read throughout Job, the book of Job, you'll see uh, almost to chapter 37, you'll see that, uh, or chapter 38, that Job, there, there's just conversation, conversation between Job and his friends of them trying to give him counsel and him responding to them and saying, I've done nothing wrong, basically. I, I've, I've been righteous. And his friends are saying, maybe you've sinned. Maybe you've, you've, surely if all of these things are happening to you, surely you must have sinned against God because God doesn't treat good people this way. God doesn't, not, not the upright. God doesn't allow these kind of things to happen to the upright. You know? We get all the way to Job chapter 38, and that's where I want to start from. Job chapter 38, and uh, I'm going to start in verse 4. This is where the Lord begins to speak. He finally responds to Job. Throughout most of the chapter, God is silent. Throughout most of the conversation between, between Job and his friends, the Lord is silent. He's not responding. He's not speaking. But in chapter 38, we finally get to hear what the Lord says. In verse 4, chapter 38, it says, where were, were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? I just thought that that was a powerful statement. Were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? I felt like at this point, this is now the time for Job to repent. I already kind of know where this conversation is going. God does not ask a question he doesn't already know the answer to. At this point is when he should be tearing his clothes apart, shaving his head, and putting the ashes on it, and, and now getting, because you know he's about to receive correction from God. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? He goes on to say in verse 5, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. And all of this wisdom and all of this counsel that you guys are able to give, surely you know the measurements of the earth. Surely you were there when I laid the foundations. Verse 6 says, Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were the foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut the sea with doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb? And as it goes on and on and on, God is asking questions. Did you do this? Were you there when this happened? Are you able to do this? And basically, we see from chapter 38 to the next, I believe, three chapters, what we see is God basically describing his omnipotence, his sovereignty. God is sovereign. So, Let's go, let's skip a little bit. Let's go to Job chapter 40, verse 2. It says, shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? He who rebukes God, shall the one with the, who contends with the Almighty correct him? Are we able to correct God? Verse 6 says, would you indeed annul my judgment 
Would you set aside? Would you render it void? Would you reverse it? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? If you had the opportunity, would you reverse God's plan? Would you change something about your life right now if you had the opportunity? Do you have, do you, do, is your plan better? Are your thoughts better than God's? Can you reverse his judgment? Are you able to do that? Let's go to verse, um, uh, chapter 42. Job, after God is kind of asking Job questions, he's like, listen, Lord, I don't know what to say to you. I can't say anything to you. No, basically the answer is no. And God goes on and asks Job more questions. But Job's response in, in, verse, uh, in, in 42 verse 2 says, I know that you can do all things and that no thought or purpose of yours can be restrained or, thwart, or thwarted. thwarted. Am I saying that correct, right? Thwart it? Okay. Thank you. Um, basically, Job is saying, I know that you're all-powerful, God. I know that you can do all things. I know that your purposes, they can't be restrained. Nobody can, nobody can stop the purposes of God from prevailing. Who can contend against God? Nobody can stand against God. If the Lord plans it, if he allows it, or if he wills it, what can you do? What can you say? How can you be against it? Here we see, again, that we're, we're, we're learning about God's his omnipotence and his, his sovereignty. God is describing to Job how he's sovereign, how he laid the foundations of the earth, how he did all of these things, and that there was no one, Job was not there with him. So if then that, that God is all-powerful and he's all-knowing, his plans are higher, his ways are higher, why then are we trying to, uh, how, why, why then are we against the plans of God? Why then are we counseling against what God wants or what God intended or what God allowed? God is sovereign, and he doesn't owe us an explanation for why he allows what he allows, for why he plans what he plans, and for why he does what he does. And who among us can give an explanation for why God does what he does? Which among us can answer, this is why God did that. This is why God allowed that. This is why this happened. Who can counsel us? Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. And I just said this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Amen. I said all this to say, God has a plan for you, just like he had a plan for Job. He knows the plans that he has for you. He knows the thoughts that he has for you. Jeremiah 29 says that. Jeremiah 29, 11 says that. However, when I read the story of Job, 
and then I go read Jeremiah 29 and 11, my spiritual antenna starts to, <laughs> my spider senses start to tingle and say, oh, wait a minute, God, wait a minute. You knew the thoughts you had towards Job. You knew the plans you had for Job. You knew the thoughts you had toward Jonah. You knew the plans you had for Jonah. You knew the thoughts you had for Jesus. And you knew the plans you had for Jesus. And you didn't even spare your own son. So my spider senses are saying, wait a minute. I don't know if I want to go with this plan. You know, I read the, the, uh, the beginning of Job, and I read the end of Job, but can we do something about the middle? <laughs> can we skip to the good part, you know? <laughs> like, it just gets bad, and it keeps getting bad, and it's like, you know? So, anyhow, likewise, God has a plan for you. And in Jeremiah, it doesn't say that we know the plans, doesn't say that you know the plans. It says, I, I as in God, God knows the plans that he has for you. Now, God does sometimes reveal to us in part, we know in part. He gives us, but he doesn't, he doesn't give us the whole full set of plan, plans. Only God alone knows the full set of plans for your life. He has a plan for you. And so as we get ready to take a look at an account in Genesis, I want to submit to you some rhetorical questions. What happens when the plans of God don't turn out like you expected? What happens when the plan of God doesn't lead you where you thought and doesn't supply what you thought? or what you thought you deserved? What happened when God is not leading you in the direction you wanted to go in? When things around you are not happening the way that you wanted them to happen? It's not going exactly the way I wanted it to go, God. What happens when our plans and God's plans don't match up? just want you to ponder on that. We're going to go to Genesis 37, chapter 37. In Genesis chapter 37, we read about Joseph. You know that Joseph had a coat of many colors. Among all of his father's children, which his father was Jacob. He was uh, the most loved because Jacob had him in his old age. He was the favorite. Brothers didn't like that. And God gave Joseph a dream. And uh, let's read about his dream in Genesis 37. Verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream. And he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. Well, they already hated him because he was daddy's favorite. Now we hate you even more because you're telling us this dream. <laughs> yeah. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves arose, stood up all around and bowed down to my sheaf. This is why they hated him. 
Are you saying that you're going to be the one to reign over us? Are you telling me that you're going to reign over us? And his brother said to him, shall you indeed reign over us or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. And then he dreamed another dream. In verse 9, he says, look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon and the 11 stars have bowed down to me. And his, uh, his father rebukes him. In verse 10, so he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him, saying, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to you, to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers, they got jealous. They envied him even more. But his father pondered this dream in his heart. He kind of held on to it. Let me think on the matter. So God gives Joseph a dream, and he reveals this dream, and now Joseph has a dream in part. This is not the full set of plans. This is not the full dream. This is not everything that is getting ready to happen in Joseph's life. I'm sure Joseph did not know that. He just had that, man, I had this dream, and y'all were bowing down to me. Like, you know, the moon, the stars, you know, he's just probably excited to have a dream. It's almost like when God gives you a dream or, or when God gave you a dream. Like when God first saved you or gave you a vision or you envisioned something and you're just so excited that, oh my gosh, or you receive a word of prophecy. You're so excited that God has spoken to your life and he's, oh, the Lord is going to do this. Thus saith the Lord. And you're so excited and you don't even know the full set of plans. The things that followed Joseph look completely opposite of that dream. Joseph was thrown into a pit by his brothers. They plotted actually to, to kill him, but thankfully Reuben, his brother, said, no, no, let's, let's, let's not kill him. Let's spare his life. So they threw him in a pit. And they saw some Ishmaelite traders coming, and they said, you know what? We don't, we don't, we want, we don't want his blood on our hands. We don't, we don't want to be responsible for his death. How about we sell him to them? Let them be responsible so that the blood is not on our hands. I don't know what kind of logic that was, but <laughs> it seemed to work for them. <laughs> Joseph was then sold as a slave to the Ishmaelites, and then they took him to Egypt. And then while Joseph was in Egypt, he was sold to Potiphar. And uh, Joseph worked in, Potiphar, worked in Potiphar's house, and God uh, blessed Joseph. God was with Joseph, even so much so that Potiphar noticed that God was with Joseph. God caused Joseph to prosper in everything that he did. So that, he could, that, so that, uh, so that um, Potiphar placed him basically second under him in all of his house. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Potiphar's wife 
began to look after Joseph or to look at Joseph, and she found him attractive. He was a handsome man. So she tried to get him to sleep with her, and Joseph resisted. And then this kept happening a, a few times, that Joseph, every time that she would try to get him um, to sleep with her, Joseph would resist. And then there was one point where she, she caught him, and he ran and fled, and she was able to cling to a piece of his clothing. So she took that opportunity to, to, to tell Potiphar, hey, Joseph tried to basically force himself on me. Here's his clothing as proof. And Potiphar, he immediately believed her. He's like, okay, now you're, I'm throwing you in prison. So now Joseph goes from being thrown into the pit, sold as a slave, sold to Potiphar, and now he's thrown into prison. Doesn't look anything like that dream. Nobody is bowing down to him. He's bowing down to, he's a slave. Nobody's bowing down to Joseph. It's not looking like that dream. It's not looking like, like what I thought you said, God. What kind of plan is this? So Joseph is thrown into prison and of course, God causes him to prosper again in prison. He's put command over all of the prisoners. Um, he ends up interpreting the butler and the, uh, the other guy. Baker. The butler and the, thank you, Pastor Cam. The butler and the baker's dream. And he tells them, you know, he tells the butler, when you, um, when you get back to Pharaoh's house, please remember me. Make mention of me. But he forgets. So now Joseph is in prison and he's also forgotten about for a few years. Until the appointed time of Pharaoh's dream. And Pharaoh has a dream and there is nobody in the land that can interpret this dream. Nobody knows what it means. I mean, he's summoning everybody from all over trying to figure out what does this dream mean. And he dreamed, he had two dreams, two similar dreams. Twice he dreamed these things, and it troubled him. And as he's doing this, the butler then realizes his, what, he, what it says in the Bible, he realized his faults this day. Oh, my gosh, I just realized I forgot about a man in prison who interpreted my dream. So he tells, he tells um, Pharaoh, he tells him that, and later we see that um, Joseph, was, has, Joseph is presented before Pharaoh, and he's able to interpret the dreams because interpretations belong to the Lord, and God has given him that gift, and he interprets his dream, and the meaning of the dream is basically saying that seven years of famine are getting ready to come. I mean, seven years of prosperity are getting ready to come, of fruitfulness are getting ready to come, but the seven years of famine that will come after the seven years of fruitfulness will be so severe that you won't even remember the plentiful that you had. That is the meaning of the dream. And Joseph interprets this dream, and now he's appointed second under Pharaoh. So he ends up being appointed second under Pharaoh. However, everything that happened up to that point, again, it didn't look like it didn't look like God's plan. It didn't look like he thought it would look like. It didn't, it didn't go the way that he thought it would go. 
sometimes it's that same way in our life. It doesn't look like we thought it would look like. It's not going the way that we thought it would go. It's not ending up the way that we thought it would end up. In hindsight, we can see that Joseph wasn't just taken. He wasn't just taken to Egypt and sold as a slave. In hindsight, we can see that he was sent to Egypt ahead of his brothers to preserve them. But it didn't look like that. <laughs> being thrown in a pit, being sold as a slave, it, it doesn't look like you're sending me before. This just looks like suffering. This just looks like pain. This just looks like, like, why do I even deserve this? Why is this happening to me? When I thought about the story of Job, and one of the reasons I mentioned that he was, a, for lack of a better term, a good man, is bad things begin to happen to Job almost from his understanding, without cause. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. Sometimes bad things happen to us. And God doesn't prevent it. He doesn't stop it. He just allows it. And if we know that God is sovereign, he's all-powerful, He's loving. He's good. We can trust him. He has a plan. We have to put everything into God's hands. God did have a plan. Later on in the, in the story of Joseph, we were able to see that plan. We were able to see that plan come to fruition. And Joseph uh, has his famous quote where, what you intended for evil, God meant for my good. I said that to say, yes, we do go through trials. Yes, we do go through hard times. Yes, we do go through suffering. What happens when the plan of God leads you to suffering? What happens when the plan of God leads you into bondage? When it leads you into feeling a pain that you just... You don't know what to do with. You just don't have any words to say. What happened when the, when the, what happened happens as God is saying that I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless your children and you begin to see your children go astray. What happens when the plan of God looks like your children going astray? What do you do? How can you contend against him? God is good. All the time and all the time God is good. He is good. And just like Jeremiah 29 and 11 says, the thoughts I have for you are good for peace for your welfare, to give you a future, a hope, and an expected end. Sometimes you, you, you can look at the story from two points. You can either look at it and from the point of and only focus on his suffering, 
or you can look at it through your spiritual eyes and see that all of those events led Joseph right up to the place where he needed to be. I reckon that everything that has gone on in your life up until this point has led you and prepared you for exactly where you need to be, for exactly what you need to do. I reckon that the events that are currently going on in your life that may still be pressing and weighing on you are are preparing you and that they will lead you exactly to the place where you need to be at the appointed time. Sometimes Joseph still had to wait. It didn't just happen immediately. He didn't just interpret uh, the, the butler's dream and then the butler goes and say, hey, man, this man interpreted my dream. Get him out of jail. It didn't happen. There was an appointed time. All of the things that needed to, to line up and, and fall together, they, they needed to fall together. They needed to happen first. But still we see that God sent him ahead to preserve and to save many people alive. So sometimes the plan of God in your life may not look exactly like you want it to, but it doesn't mean that you're not going to, get, going to end up at the place where you were always intended to be. Doing what you are always in. It doesn't mean that his promise is no. God's promise still is yes and amen. It still is. Even though it doesn't look like it sometimes. So I want to put up my first closing point. And this is uh, actually the title of my message. In closing, point one, let go of your plan. Let go of your plan. Um, Pastor Jim, maybe about a month ago, came and he preached a message titled, uh, Fit to be Tied. And that message just, it, it, I believed it was a word from God, but it, it bothered me so much. And I wrestled with it. I wrestled with it. It was, it was very interesting. When I went to work that Monday, he preached the message on Sunday, and I went to work that Monday. Uh, one of the ladies in the office, a guy came in, and they were joking around, and, and he said something, and she was like, ha, 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 you were fit to be tied. And I was, was like, I've never heard this lady say this <laughs> in all of the time I've been working here, but right after this Sunday, she says, you were fit to be tied. And I just felt like God was echoing that message to me again. What I received from the message was, I kind of looked at it in a different way. I received it as God telling me, you are holding on to your plans. You're holding on to an idea. You're holding on to an expectation. You're holding on to a desire, something you want to happen. And it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing, that you're, but you're holding on to this. And you're holding on to it so tightly that is actually resisting what I want to do. So when, when he preached that message, he talked about how you tame a horse and how you have to do all these things to tame a horse. You have to tie it up. Uh, and they do all this resisting until they finally get tired and, and now they're slacking the rope and now they can be used. And I felt like God was saying, you're holding on to my plans and that is the resistance. There's no slack in the rope. You're going this way, and my plans are going that way. So there's friction. There's friction there. 
But I wrestled with that. Like, God, what, well, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do with that? Uh, I know now that God it was humbling me. He wanted me to be humble. He wanted me to, 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 to die a little bit more to my pride, you know? And that feels exactly like dying. <laughs> I don't know if you, if, if you have felt that before, but whenever you are dying to yourself, your flesh, whenever you're laying down your flesh, because what if the, the plan of God is leading you to pray for those who persecute you? What if the plan of God is, is leading you to do good to those who have not been doing good to you? You have to lay down what you really want to do. It's, it's not easy to do good to people who are not doing good to you. But what if that's his plan for you? To suffer through it so that you can be like Jesus. So that you can show that person the light. What if that is God's plan? The Bible says that many plans are in a man's heart, but the purposes of the Lord will prevail. There are many things that are in our heart that we may want to do, go after, but it is only God's purpose that shall stand. God has shown me time and time again in my life. You, you, I was going this way, and I, I thought that I was going to be successful in this and grow in this and do that, and then boom, he shuts it all down. That door is immediate close. Well, okay, now I have to start all over and figure out where I'm going from here. Then I do it, and I get in there, and I'm like, oh, man, this is it right here. This is the Lord. God's going to cause me to prosper in here. And he does, and, and, and you grow. And, but it's not the final destination, right? The pit for Joseph was not his final destination. Potiphar's house for Joseph was not his final destination, the prison for Joseph was not his final destination. Where you are right now is not your final destination. God has a plan. And his plans, his purposes, they will prevail. The Bible also says in Proverbs 16, verse 9, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Yeah, we make plans. But God is the one who's ordering our steps. He's really leading us exactly where we need to be. And when we humble ourselves and submit to the Lord, submit to his plans, trust him, it gets easier. It gets easier to just say, okay, God, wh whatever you want, whatever you want from me, whatever that looks like, it's hard when you're still holding on to your own plans. It's hard when you're still holding on to your own ideas, to your own things. Let go of your plans. Point two, trust in the Lord with all your heart and trust his plan. God's intent is not that you don't go through hard things. It's not that you don't go through difficult, trying, or painful things. That is not his intent. In this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer. Why? The Lord's intent is rather that he is going to be with you, that it would not destroy you, 
it won't ruin you and that you would overcome it just as he overcame. Be of good cheer. He's overcome the world. That overcomer lives on the inside of you. I don't, I don't know if you remember that, but the overcomer lives on the inside of you. You overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of your testimony. He's in you. Point three, lean not on your own understanding. Joseph, at some point, had to lean not on his own understanding. This doesn't look right. Surely you've made a mistake, Lord. You want to reevaluate your plan? But at some point, he also realized, no, what you meant for evil, God meant. You intended it, but God also intended it for a different purpose. He used it. He allowed it for his good and for his glory. So when you're walking through your own life and you're evaluating the plans of God, don't lean on your own understanding. It may not be what you think it looks like. You may not get the outcome that you, you, you think you deserve or that you want. Acknowledge God in all things. And he will direct your path. Amen? Trust in God's plan. He has a plan for you. His plans for you are good, even if it doesn't look like it. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for your plans. We thank you that your plans for us are good, God. We thank you that we can trust you. We don't have to. Lord, we may not understand which way you are taking us. We may not understand um, as we are going through what it looks like, God, but we know that we can trust you. Help us to trust you and help us, God, to lay down our plans. Help us, God, to let go of our plans and to continue to put our trust in you. Well, we know that you will lead us and you will guide us and you will continue to direct our steps. And we thank you for all of these things. In Jesus' precious and mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen.